Long Beach Sermons, visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Good morning. All right, I think I'm on now. All right, good morning. I am Byron. My pronouns are he and him. I think that's it. Um, and you're like, why is he up there? Because my parents taught me a long time ago, when good people ask you to do something that you can probably do, you should say yes. So I'm saying yes. But what good people don't know is that if I have a stage and lights and a microphone, I am really liable to sing. So <laughs> for my first number, no, no, no. So I'm here to welcome you all to City Church this morning. It's a wonderful day to be here, gathered together in the house of the Lord. Um, and welcome to our friends on Zoom. <laughs> and so um, we are a, oh, let me get this right. We are radically welcoming community. Oh, God. On a journey to Jesus. Joining. Joining. No, wait. Somebody tell me. Joining him in the renewal of all things. All right, all right. I know. I could have had notes, but I opted off, not for them. So, my bad. Um, anyway, so welcome. We hope you guys are glad to be here, and we're going to have a wonderful day. Thank you, um, Praise Team. They are always fantastic. And so, before we really get our service started, um, our friend Wendy Cantrell is going to come up and pray for our kids um, as they, before they head out. So, thank you, Wendy. Good morning. He has the easy part. Um, we're memorizing all the books of the Bible, which I was frantically trying to remember this morning, but I'm not going to recite it for you. Anyways, um, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for bringing us together today, and we thank you that you are present here, that you're you guide us in our way as we worship you today. And I pray, Lord, as we take the kids out for their lessons, that we may convey your love, we may convey your wisdom um, to them, we may show them the love of Jesus. We pray for those kids who aren't here, the kids of Lafayette, the kids who belong to this church, who for whatever reason, are not here today, that you would bless them, keep them healthy, keep them safe. We pray especially for the children of Gaza as they continue in the war zone and also in the Ukraine and all other children who are in danger at this point. Lord, just um, let this world be a safer place for them. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Some of the kids know the assignment. You saw my, my little Beck running out there. Here we go. Yes, any children who would like to head out for crafts and story time, they are ready. Thank you so much for praying, Wendy. And is anyone else just totally bummed they didn't get to hear Byron sing? Yeah? Yeah, so we, uh, Byron, we need you up here again, and next time I'm going to specifically invite you to sing. In fact, you could sing that little vision statement. That was one of my favorite parts already <laughs> of this morning is you all prompting Byron and like encouraging him along with like, yeah, this is who we are. Oh, that was so good. 
That was so good. Hey, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, which is totally possible, my name is Brenna Rubio, and I am one of the pastors, the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach. My pronouns are she, her. For those of you who are like, where is Bill? Because Bill, our pathological extrovert, always greets me on a Sunday morning. I'm sure he's thinking about you. He actually is on a trip to Chicago to see some family. Uh, and he actually offered to a friend of ours with a sister church out in Chicago, he offered to preach out there. And, you know, that church are, gets to hear from our friend Julie all the time. So it's okay that they had to sit and listen to a man preach today, right? It's all right. They can take it. They get to hear Julie most weeks. Um, but Bill of course, sends his greetings uh, to each of you this morning. Um, we are starting a new sermon series today uh, as we lean into this season of Easter, which some of you may be aware that that is the season uh, that we're coming into, and some of you are like, no, it can't be that time yet. This year is already going too fast, uh, but yes, this is where he is. we are. Um, and so I was thinking this morning... Um, a few weeks ago, one of my teenagers, as we were sitting and we were having, you know, some of those kind of like philosophical, like figure out the rest of your life conversations that you do with 16-year-olds sometimes, uh, we we're having one of those conversations. And so they asked me, mom, would your 16-year-old self be surprised by who you are today? Whew, <laughs> that's a big question. Uh, but I really started laughing because I was like, my 16-year-old self would be shocked, right? There is nothing about being a mother of four, pastor, and they specifically asked me about my tattoo, like would my 16-year-old self have expected me to have a tattoo? I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> no, that is not uh, actually what my 16-year-old self would have thought. Uh, I had been a feminist since I was four, so having four kids was not, at the moment, the dream. Uh, I was a little science lab kind of nerd, so no, being a pastor was not, you know, kind of the trajectory that I thought my life was on. Uh, and yeah, tattoos were, I was part of a very conservative evangelical family. And that was on one of those like, weird lists of things of like, why it was so bad, I'm not entirely clear. I think there might be like a verse in Leviticus or something like that, right? That <laughs> would have been pulled out. Um, but I, I imagine that's true for lots of us, right? That if you thought back to your 16-year-old self or, you know, for there are a few of us here who haven't hit 16 yet, um, your 8-year-old self, where you are right now is not what you thought life was going to be. And that doesn't make it bad, right? Like, I actually, like, I like, I'm glad for where my journey has taken me in this moment. At every twist and turn, would I have said that in the moment? You know? The story that we're going to start leaning into today, all through this Easter season, we're going to be following along with the journey of one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his disciples, who was in a little bit, kind of like an inner circle with Jesus, of, of someone that Jesus just trusted and relied on and, and talked to all the time. We're going to be looking at the life of the disciple Peter. And I think definitely if you had asked my 16-year-old self, I would have said, well, you know, the people who were closest to Jesus, right, were probably the people who had it most together, right? They, they tended to do things right. They knew the right answers. They made the right choices. And I think 
it's going to be so interesting to look at together that that was not actually what the life of the disciple Peter was like. That's not actually how his story played out. It was not this smooth, linear, like, hey, I start following Jesus, and, you know, it's just this continuous upward journey of, like, self-actualization, and look how amazing I am. It was a very twisty, turny sort of journey. Where he ended up was probably nothing like what he had pictured for himself as a person. There was a path, but it wasn't a particularly straight or predictable one. And so as we, as we look at his journey, I think it's going to give us a little bit of a lens to say, okay, maybe my story with all of its twists and turns, with its unpredictability, with its, its messy moments, Maybe it's actually a good path as well. Not always an easy one. Sometimes even a scary one or a lonely one, but a good one. So this series is going to be called Wandering Heart. And for a lot of us, when we hear that word wandering, it can have some really negative connotations, right? This sense of to wander is to be lost, And maybe you've even received messages like that from people in your life, you know, as they have watched you in your story. You know, you make a choice that they don't agree with. You're wandering. You ask a question that they think should be a certain answer. You're wandering. You have feelings that are a little big for them, and they're not sure what to do with. You're wandering. You could be wandering away from the truth, wandering off the beaten path. But what if there's another way of thinking about it? What if wandering could also be about having this posture towards life and towards faith that says, I am open to the questions. Yes, I am open to stepping off the beaten, established path. I'm open to curiosity. I'm open to wonder. I'm open to growing to believing that God is big and may have plans for me that I could never have dreamed of. And so I'm willing to walk untrod paths. I'm willing to step into mystery and discomfort. Uh, A wonderful pastor and spiritual writer named Barbara Brown Taylor uh, in her book, An Altar in the World, says it's hard sometimes to shake the shame of getting lost in our lives. And yet if someone asked us to pinpoint the times in our lives that changed us for the better, a lot of those times would be wilderness times. They would be the times when we felt like we've lost the plot. We're not sure where the path is leading. It's scary. We know we're lost. And yet so often... That's where the beauty and the discovery comes in. Uh, Some of you may have also heard the quote. It's a little bit more well-known, especially if you're, you know, one of those um, Hobbit, Lord of the Ring sorts of fans. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien, he said, not all who wander are lost. And there's some truth in there, isn't it? So that's what we're going to start exploring today as we start to get to know this person of Peter, uh, who's sometimes, so you don't get confused, he's sometimes also called Simon or Simon Peter. You're going to hear all of these names uh, in our story today. But what if we can start looking at our journeys with fresh eyes and say,
just because we're wandering, it doesn't mean we're lost. There's actually some beauty that could come out of it. So our friend Judy Kim is going to come up and read our scripture for us today. If you could welcome up Judy. And if you're willing and able and you'd like to stand, it's just a way of us saying, yeah, we know this, this story that we get to receive today is special. Is it on? There you go. Okay. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little, a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks, Judy. Okay, so there is a bit happening in the story. Um, so let's kind of walk through it again, really get a picture for everything that's happening. So Jesus is by the shore of a lake, and he's been teaching. Uh, this is towards the beginning of his ministry, but he's been teaching. And so a crowd of people are gathering around him. And it, it kind of like, I'm like, oh, well, that's bold, Jesus. He doesn't really ask permission. He just sees, oh, there's an empty boat, and he steps into it. And now he asks for permission. He asks for help. He sees the workers whose boat it is, the fishermen, and says, hey, would you put off from the shore a little bit? And there's probably a couple different reasons that he asked for that. Uh, one, obviously, is just he's feeling crowded. That's what the, the text tells us, is that you know, they're kind of crowding in on him. The other, from what I understand, it actually helped with acoustics, right? That there's something about getting out a bit into the water that actually is going to help his voice project for the crowd of people, and it's going to make it easier for him to teach. And so he asks this of the fishermen, and, and we don't know yet who it is. We don't know much about Peter, but Peter is the one who says yes. It's his first yes to Jesus. And it's kind of a big one, right? Because as we're going to find out, he's been working all night. It's like he's finished up. It's like if you had like a shift in a coffee shop or something, or maybe we should put it overnight. You know, you're like you've just had like your nurse and you've been working all night and you are, you're in cleanup mode, right? You get to go home and sleep. And now somebody comes along and asks you to go back into it, right? That's what's happening here. Peter is ready to go home. He's just cleaning up the nets. 
And Jesus says, will you, will you help me? Will you pull the boat back out so I can teach? And probably Peter has no idea how long this teaching thing is going to take. But if, but if Jesus is anything like most pastors, it's probably not going to be quick. Right? It's like Byron giving the microphone and he sings. You give pastors a microphone, they talk. But Peter says, yes. And so Jesus teaches and probably teaches and teaches and teaches. But then he finishes. And now he has another request for Peter, who's been fishing all night, and he was tired, and as we're going to find out, is frustrated, because that whole night of fishing was completely fruitless. They didn't catch anything. So he's not only tired, but he's discouraged. And to this tired, discouraged man, Jesus says, hey, you know, since we're out here, why don't you go ahead and put the nets down? You know, that'll be great. And Peter's thinking, <laughs> I know how to do this, right? This is my job. I'm the expert here. And you want me to put my nets down? And he basically says that to Jesus, but says, okay, but Jesus, because it's you, I'll do what you ask. He says another yes. And he puts the nets down in the wrong time of day after a frustrating night. And a miracle happens. All of these fish begin like practically like jumping into the nets, right? So much so that the nets begin to break and Peter actually has to wave in the other boat because remember at the beginning of the story, there were a couple boats there. He has to wave in the other boat to come help, get the haul, and it's just, it's amazing. It's overwhelming. In fact, it's so overwhelming that Peter's response to Jesus is basically, I'm not worthy. Whatever this is, this incredible abundance, this goodness, this grace that you've just poured on me in the form of a bunch of wriggling, smelly fish. That's what I would be thinking, right? But for Peter, this is amazing. Like, this is amazing. It's abundant. And I, all it's making me feel is frightened because it's just so much. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that. I think I have a few times. I just don't know what to do in the face of someone loving me this much. And Jesus gets it, but basically answers saying, um, hey, I, I see you. I see your fear. You don't have to be afraid. I will go, but I want you to go with me. And so Peter has an opportunity to say his third yes to Jesus. So I think about this story, and we think about it from the, at first from Peter's perspective. I think Peter is right there in the midst. He's just having a regular day, which actually for him is right, like he's been working all night. But it's his regular life. He's just going along, doing his everyday things. And Peter's very much just like us, right? He's got a job. He's got a home. We see actually that he is very deeply connected uh, with his family. 
Um, one of the things that, if you kind of get into the nitty-gritty of the text, you see is that he's not just a fisherman on his own. He actually has partners. One of his partners is his brother named Andrew. There's also a man named Zebedee and his two sons, James and John. Some of you are starting to recognize these names. Andrew, James, John, the sons of Zebedee. Maybe you don't remember from where, you know, but maybe some little piece of, you know, like going to vacation Bible school or something growing up is like clicking there. Yes! Some of these are also going to become disciples of Jesus. But he has, the point is he has partners. He has a community that he's part of. Um, We actually see in an earlier passage that he has a mother-in-law, which implies that at some point, at least, he's been married whether he's currently married or perhaps widowed, uh, but he has a mother-in-law. He's rooted in a community, just going about his everyday life, probably following all of the just kind of cultural expected norms of the day. He's just a regular, regular old human. And so one of the things that I wonder reading through the story is why does he keep saying yes to Jesus. This strange teacher. Jesus doesn't have any official position. What he has is who he is, right? He has this teaching with love and authority, and he has this way of connecting with people. It's just who Jesus is, but there's nothing official. So why does Peter keep saying yes when Jesus keeps inviting him to do all these inconvenient and unorthodox things. It might be helpful to know uh, that Peter has met Jesus already. Uh, We we know from a couple chapters earlier that Jesus has actually healed Peter's mother-in-law. So Peter has seen Jesus in action as a healer, as someone who does amazing things. And, And so you have to wonder if He's feeling some sorts of things already towards Jesus, maybe respect, gratitude, maybe a little bit of curiosity. What is inside of him that makes him want to say yes? Maybe, maybe there's some need there, some desire. His life is not idyllic. He's living in an occupied territory. His work is hard. He works with his hands, dependent upon the whims of nature. Will he get fish today? Will he not? He's dependent on how the occupying powers are going to treat him. What taxes are going to be levied against him today? Sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to it. This is his daily experience. Maybe something in him wants something New, wants something different, wants to believe that there could be something bigger than he's experienced thus far, that there could be a bigger story that he could be invited into. For me, as I read the story, I have this sense that even in just this one interaction that maybe just lasts a a couple of hours, that Jesus takes Peter on this little mini journey of building trust. Each little step, right, of, of offering Peter an opportunity to say yes or to say no. 
to just kind of keep going in the ways that he was used to, to follow the normal path, or to try something a little different, to take a little bit of a risk. And every time Peter says, yes, there's an opportunity to go, oh, now I see the world a little different and, and I trust this person, Jesus, a little bit more and new things, new possibilities are opening up in front of him. Three yeses, each one just a little bit stranger, a little bit more bold. Will you take me out on your boat? Will you let down your nets and try again? And then that big one, will you, believe, will you leave behind so much of the life you know and just go with me. Be part of what I'm doing. There's an aspect where it's Jesus saying, will you let me change your life? And yet I also think it's really interesting that it's, it's not in a sense where he's saying, I'm going to wipe away everything about who you are. Right? I'm going to make you a totally new person. It's not saying... None of this matters, only this. But actually, even the way Jesus invites Peter is respectful of his story up till then. He says, I'm going to take you and make you a fisher of men. Our artist, we're going to see uh, her imagery in just a bit. Uh, the artist we're going to look at this morning, she says this, God uses what Peter knows how to do well already being a fisher of fish, and invites him to apply his skills to a new calling. I think so much of this Sometimes my being. myself right now where I never would have it really is much and as some of you know of years to Joe, if you can hear me, there's a problem with the sound. It sounds like the same issue when original sound for musicians is turned off. 
Please bear with us, everybody, while we try to get the sound back. Got it, Kevin. Thanks. Where I get to connect the dots. Fancy nerd in college, but I was starting to think about it more in terms of like learning about um, bioethics. And I would, I thought it was funny um, a little bit to, to take a class that was called, um, it was gender, sexuality, fertility, and work. And I just thought it was really funny to tell my friends I was going to fertility class. That was half the reason I took it. <laughs> but that even back then, I was so fascinated by these questions actually of gender and how society and gender fit together. And that some of that was because in my own personal experience, growing up in a very conservative evangelical culture where gender, they were these teeny tiny little boxes. So, I'm, this was my experience, so few people fit nicely into these little boxes of what it meant to be male and what it meant to be female. And though I did not have the words back then, I did not fit in the box well. That my experience was of being relatively like gender non-conforming for the culture that I was in. And I think brought some of those questions for me that being a nerd, you know, I expressed by taking classes like gender, fertility, and work, right? But it's a stepping stone. It's a piece to saying, yes, like, God, I'm interested in this. And then now moving into, like, now I'm leaning into ministry and I'm taking these studies and, and I find myself asking questions that are inconvenient, that are taboo, that I'm apparently not supposed to be asking in my seminary that I'm in, in the churches that I'm in. And that's a step. And... It has implications for where I end up, for churches that say, no, thank you, you do not fit, and churches that say, yes. And being invited into this community that was going through its own discussion and saying, yeah, we actually want to ask these questions and we want to become this kind of community. And so I imagine, what would my life have been like as a parent these last couple of years? if I hadn't had all of these stepping stones along the way to get to make so many amazing friends whose experiences were in some ways similar to mine and in, in some ways different, to learn from so many amazing LGBTQ people in our, con our congregation here and all over Long Beach, so that when I ended up in those conversations with my own children, that I was able to more easily say that, yes, yes, of course I love you. Yes, I see who you are. Yes, thank you, God, for this child that you've given me and how you have created them. Those journeys are sacred, right? Even when they can be so challenging. And even when other people don't always understand. You have to think, Peter's family and friends were going, Peter, where are you going? <laughs> I mean, they just got up and left. There's the nets. There's the boats. And these are the invitations to believe that God is working in our stories, calling us into something 
that might look wild and crazy and new and yet can be so incredibly beautiful. So this is Peter's perspective. Then we have to ask just a few questions about Jesus too and Jesus' perspective. I mean, the first one is just, why Peter? Basically, we're echoing Peter's question. Why me, Jesus? I'm not sure I'm worthy. I'm not sure I'm anything special. Why are you choosing me? And I don't know what the answer is, right? I don't know what it was about Peter in particular. But I think it's important to notice that it was Peter, that it was this fisherman. Nobody looked at Peter and said, yes, this is the important, intelligent, charismatic, attractive, I mean, I don't know, all those different words. It's like, these are the people, right? That we say, yes, you're gonna be the leaders. You're gonna be, you're the right-hand man, right? doesn't seem to have been any of that. What made Peter worthy? Jesus said he was. Jesus said, because I pick you, because I know you, because you're loved, because you're mine, because we're going to be friends. That's it. We have no other explanation here other than Jesus said so. Jesus said so. This morning, um, I don't know where you're at in your story. I don't know what dots you're wrestling with and saying, how does this connect into a path? But that's the question that I have for you, that I raise for you. Where have you sensed God showing up? Where have you sensed there might be more going on? That while you might not feel worthy, there might be someone saying, but I love you and I think you're amazing and I am working in your story.